Is this where I start with a monologue? Because guys, remember today, we are the news. We are the news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Every Week is Chaos. I'm David, as always, your host. I'm joined by my co-host, my great friend, Lorenzo, as always. Lorenzo, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm good. I'm doing. I'm going. We're, things are happening. Are we back or are we over? We've been back. Uh, I'm also on the road. And listen, if people keep driving terribly, something really hilarious is going to happen on this road. Uh-oh. Well... Yeah, obviously you guys can hear Lorenzo's in a vehicle. He's driving. He he'll he'll still be with you us. Stupid fucking bitch! Come on! All right, yeah. You know. <laughs> so we got Lorenzo here, and we're joined by our very good friend and a great guest, as always, Connor. Connor, how are you doing today? How are I you am... doing, my my the manger to my young prince? <laughs> I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you, buddy. You all may remember me from being the better David on an episode a few weeks back. <laughs> the much smarter and much more like charismatic version of Not me. Not true at all. <laughs> more charismatic, well, less smart. That'll take. Uh, I don't know. Oh, Jesus but, Christ, stop slowing down so quickly. No, I refuse to. We're on the we're on the timeline Earth and we're accelerating on, with Turbo America because guys, we're the news today. We're the, we got permission. This from this episode probably won't come out until tomorrow or Friday. But if you we're recording on a when, on Wednesday and we have not gotten the news. And so inquiring with the bird about this, I was like, Bird, what are we gonna talk about on our podcast since there won't we won't have the news? To which Bird said, We have to be the news today. If if you guys were really the news today, you would have known better than to admit that you're recording and you would just claim that we're filming live on Thursday right now. <laughs> you know, that's so whatever. True. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listen, he gave us he gave us the keys to the crack house. It's a little musty. There's a lot of weird stains, especially on Aaron's chair. But, uh, <laughs> you know. That, you know I'm... that bit is even funnier on this podcast where you have a video element. <laughs> Well, see, there's not actually a video element. Is the thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's just that you can see our video, but the listeners oh. they can't they can't see a video. So this is okay, gonna be okay. So I can crazy. indeed see Aaron's chair with the stain that Lorenzo was referencing. Yes, but can they see, can't see. It. They can't see. They can't see Aaron's chair. It was the stain from practicing for Greece. What? Uh, but you know what they do in Greece: gay butt sex. Are we are we talking about the musical? No, the country. Oh, <laughs> I can't tell if you're anyway. being sarcastic with me or not. <laughs> I sure hope he's not being sarcastic. Have you seen the musical? There's not gay butt sex in the musical, <laughs> but in the country, I have not <laughs> seen the musical, so I would just believe you if you told me that. <laughs> what kind of what kind of grease have you been watching, bro? What kind? So that's what the guy with the slick back hair was doing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, but um, I've obviously right, never seen Greece. We've got a lot of topics to talk about. And I think we should start. I, yeah. what, what do you want to touch on first, Lorenzo? Oh, I want to get on the one that I'm most fired up about because I'm already, excuse me, fired up. Okay, well, which one would and that be? The, it's the California one. Oh, okay. So we're talking about Gavin Newsom, right? 
Yeah, so Gavin Newsom basically cleaned up San Francisco and all this stuff because Xi Jinping is coming over. Xi Jinping, Chong Wing Wong is coming over and, uh, and, and, you know, touring his latest addition to the Chinese empire. Um, but I wanted to talk about this because I saw there was a lot of things that were like, this is where I want to talk about how conservatives have completely and utterly lost the plot and have basically used up literally everything in their book and are just characters themselves now because like Gavin Newsom literally goes on stage and is like, people are saying we cleaned up this city, you know, for all the officials. It's true. We cleaned up the city. And don't believe me. I can play it right now. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. My internet can barely handle it. I'm on, uh, you know, but basically Every like Tim Pool conservative is going to go. Well, imagine if the roles were reversed. The hypocrisy. Like this is this is like the. Have you guys ever seen the Norm Macdonald bit where he's in the car with Jerry Seinfeld? The the worst the thing is the hypocrisy. Yeah. No, yeah. I think the worst thing was the raping. <laughs> yeah, like the conservatives are the living embodiment of. I think the worst thing is the hypocrisy. No, it's the fact. Like I put a tweet out. A Democrat governor could go. Like Gavin Newsom could go on stage with a live baby and eat it in front of a crowd that is cheering. And like Tim Pool would be like, just imagine if the roles were reversed, the hypocrisy. Like, no, the problem is that you are arguing with a literal demon. I mean, just look at the guy. The guy looks like he's straight out of American Psycho. What did he do? He basically, he he admitted that like, yeah, San Francisco's a shithole, and we only cleaned it up because Xi Jinping is coming over or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah, and he, he has arrived, and they're, like, waving, like, you know, the People's Republic of China's flag, you know, in the streets, you know, all the fun stuff. And all the, all the conservatives are losing it, but they fail to recognize that they are also, like, uh, so waving I'm not gonna lie. I spent, I spent the weekend of January 9th in L.A. Yeah. And I'd be willing to commit to communism if it means those streets get cleaned. It was really bad. Well, and here's and here's the other thing as well. And I'm probably just gonna. I just pulled in my apartment, but I'm probably gonna stay in the car because I don't have my AirPods, and I don't really want to take you guys off and then put you guys on my computer and blah blah blah. Gay, 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 gay. Liberal, 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 liberal. Um, so I hate that I know what that's referencing. So basically, right? I, you know, I'm looking and. If there's anything that's made me, because the one thing I don't really like about Blake Masters is how much of a China hawk he is. Because it's like on a level where it's like, you know how Ron DeSantis, like his weakest thing is how much he will literally bend over backwards for Israel. Like, you know, everyone everyone kowtows to Israel, but he really Ron DeSantis does more. Yeah. And I'm not, not going to lie, Nikki Haley might be worse at this point. Nikki Haley is going on the debate stage being like, you guys don't have the balls to well, donate as much The money debate stage people. was the worst one on the on the recent debate stage was Chris Christie when they asked him how he would lower prices for the everyday American. And uh-huh. his response was unironically a direct quote, we will give Israel everything they need. Hell yeah, brother. That was his answer to how to lower prices for. Uh, listen, guys, look at look at him. He's Chris Christie is so big that I am a hundred percent certain he knows how to lower food costs, and so I trust his judgment here. Like, okay, here's the thing, right? 
I think I was going to go back to Blake Masters. Like every GOP guy is bad on China. Blake Masters really is a like he's on Steve Bannon levels of like he's like there's going to be Chinese boots on the ground in California. There's not, but the closest thing is the fact that Xi Jinping is literally walking through his latest occupied state and like you know the and, and what I was getting at anyway. So to circle all back, conservatives have completely wasted every tool in their book and are just a caricature of themselves. And you look at this from everything from died suddenly to the use of the term woke to the look at the hypocrisy of the left. Like, and it's funny because I'm going to simultaneously brutally shit on James Lindsay and also praise him for certain things. And you're right on the first part. Well, here's the thing. James Lindsay early on was saying it is not hypocrisy. It is hierarchy. They think they are better than you and they act as if they are better than you. And the, and that's one of the first things where it's like, this is where it's like James Lindsay had, he, like, he had a clear line of sight where it was like, okay, you're onto something, you're onto something, you're onto something, and you've completely lost the plot. And, you know, it, and just to go back and shit on him a little bit, he was right on the money where he was saying it's a hierarchy, not hypocrisy, and then now has turned the term woke into complete character. Liberals haven't used the term woke since 2015. Like, that's BuzzFeed era. Well, and also, it's it's so funny that James Lindsay attacks woke people because, like, I don't know what, like, I saw something about him and, um, who's the gay guy that's in the Daily Wire crowd? All of them? No, but the actually gay one. Um, oh, Dave I, Rubin? Dave oh. Rubin, thank oh. you. I saw something about, about, um, James Lindsay and Dave Rubin banding together to end wokeness. And I was like, wow, thank God the right wing has the coalition of atheists and homosexuals ending wokeness. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. I wouldn't even care if it's an atheist or a homosexual. It's a 90s Democrat and a 2010s Democrat. Well, and it was even like um, Dennis Prager came out this week yes! and said, uh, said, None of my views have changed since I was a liberal. And I was like, I believe you. Yeah. Like, the left has just moved so far. And I'm like, no, dude, you're you're still a liberal. I 100% believe that. Like, you like stand listen. up and argue for animated child porn. Like, listen, James Lindsay is the walking epitome of the Marxist infiltrators that he describes. Like, you are quite literally the left winger going into these to these institutions and fundamentally shifting them leftward. Like, you are the problem, James. Well, I hate to tell you. And no, the, the worst part is that he's not even moving them leftward. He's just taking, he's just going into all the institutions that have already moved leftward. There's nowhere else leftward to move or else they'd be considered full-on Democrats. Like, see, any, any conservative organization now is basically would have voted for Bill Clinton. They would have voted for Bill Clinton. And half of them would tell you that. They would tell you that to your face. And here's the thing. I don't like any of like the hard right Christian nationalist types either because those are all gay people too. Like, you know. Wrong. No, 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 no. Christian, <laughs> the only kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not even a, I'm not even like a Catholic yet. And, you know. Yet. Quick. <laughs> Quick plug for uh for Caleb's podcast, Thomas Reviews, where they just did an episode on integralism and spending an hour and a half telling you why Lorenzo's wrong. 
God, integralists. See, the problem is that when I think about like integralists and other other those niche philosophies, half the time I think it's people that have played strategy games online too much, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm an integralist. Shut the fuck up." You're. To be fair, is this where I, I ask what an integralist is? It's <laughs> so, socialist. It's a socialist. It's it's not. To be fair, is, are you talking about the distributism stuff used wrongly by a lot of people? The most basic definition of integralism. And I, I'm stealing straight from uh from that podcast. So again, there are better minds than me. Go go check out Thomas reviews. But um, you don't have the, to. The you don't. Have to. <laughs> but the the most basic definition board is really that it's they call it often the uh, philosophy of the two swords or something. And there's a biblical allegory allegory that goes back to that. But the idea is that there are two powers: the temporal power and the spiritual power. The spiritual power is, you know, the church and then the the church, the actual church itself here and the church triumphant in heaven and all that. And then there's the temporal power, which for all intents and purposes is like the state. It's the power here on earth that is not the church. And integralists at their most basic, it's not calling for the church to be the state. It's just calling for the temporal power to be subservient to the spiritual power in that the temporal power acts for good. There are integralists like Lorenzo described who it, because they're arguing for the common good, do things that get into the territory of socialism, but those aren't, that's not on the grounds of integralists that makes them do that. That's just, just a logistical grounds. But become a board member yet all in of us are board that members. i listen to timeline earth no in the test that you listen to over the line no i i'm never gonna pay for the patreon why it's i love them but i'm broke no it's, listen listen lorenzo I'm you're a board broke. you're a board member a if month. you if you watch the podcast well if you well if you don't watch if you listen to the podcast even just the regular one you're a board member okay all of the listeners are board members I don't care either way. I'm don't not try to gatekeep me out of being a board it is, member. It is one of the best scrub. podcasts out there, and they're great guys, and I'm sure Over the Line is great content. I'm not paying for a podcast, though. They have a whole episode about how drunk driving is great. That's great, but I, I already know that. I'm not paying for that. It's like that Spider-Man meme where it's like Peter Parker, and he's like, well, damn, Harry, I already bought it. You don't have to sell it to me. Exactly. I'm, I'm pro-drunk driving. So once I put my shirt on, hold on. So, all right. Now, this is going to be a really interesting podcast to listen to. <laughs> so, Luckily, they, all of your listeners are guests on this episode. So true. <laughs> so true. So, basically, um, going back to the conservative thing, like, they're using old terms and outdated terms. And you know how people criticized Hillary Clinton in 2016 for playing her campaign like she was in 1995 no like, i wasn't really paying too much attention to the actual race itself to be honest basically yes, i did i wasn't 12 like david i remember well she outside of the identity politics she like played i don't want to say fair because it's not a very hillary clinton thing to do but she didn't like 
she wasn't on the level that Trump was on. I don't think she was nearly as much on Twitter, except for that one tweet that I will always love to Happy clown birthday on. birthday to this future president. Okay, I just did the math. I was actually 11 at the time, Connor. Correct you. I was so much worse. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I was 12. I um, hate you both. <laughs> so basically, the the um, Hillary Clinton played her, pol- her her played politics like she wasn't in 2016. But the problem is that Republicans and conservatives now and conservatives um, play politics like they're only in 2016. It's 2023. And it's- the reality is, in 2016, Hillary Clinton's best defense. I hate you, David, so much. Um, Hillary Clinton's best defense in her playing politics like it was in 2016 is that Trump was a genuine anomaly. You oh, yeah. can't, he changed the playing field in a way that no one else has in a long time and no one will for a long time. Well, What's changed since 2016 to 23 has been more or less across the board. And the fact that the Republic, like, Hillary not being prepared to adjust to Trump, she's an idiot, but whatever. We all made that same mistake in a lot of ways. I didn't. The Republicans of the world today, thinking it's still 2016, are willingly morons. Like, there was no Trump figure that, and like, yes, there was COVID that made it a little more different. But at the end of the day, all the things that are changes are things that you don't have to be smart to pick up on. The fact that woke isn't the term anymore you don't have and honestly i'm not gonna lie to you i'm a little bit of a boomer and i'll gladly throw around the term woke but i also supported ron DeSantis, who ran the worst campaign of all time like not <laughs> yeah. everybody has my autism and if, if you appeal to people like me you're not gonna win elections if hillary clinton ran her campaign like she was in the 90s ron DeSantis ran his campaign like he was in the 1890s well, Ron DeSantis just is not a charismatic dude. I, I actually was uh, DMing Bird no, about this. No, he the other used day. to be. He, no, he didn't. I said this to uh, uh, No, he didn't. I knew him back in the day. He doesn't smile. And someone clearly and told him that. And then smile. he tried to start smiling, and it just made it so much worse. This is the... This is the podcast equivalent of me and Connor waving loaded guns around and David <laughs> just trying to figure out where to duck. <laughs> David, like, we're 20 minutes in and I forgot what content we're covering because Lorenzo and Connor have just been yelling at each other. <laughs> this is this is a common theme. Okay. Listen, usually I only have one gun-wielding lunatic to, to deal with. <laughs> yeah. In my gun is my liberal use of the word. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I may be homophobic, racist, and sexist, but I am not a potty mouth. <laughs> that's true. You are. It was funny because I was on, like, when the, the, the episode you were on, I, like, actively restrained myself because I was like, I don't want to say retard. Oh, well, the retard's fine. But, like, I don't want to say, you know, like, fuck in front of you if you're not going to say it. Like, it's I know, see you've gotten over that fear. <laughs> well, I same thing with my so my girlfriend also is like the type of oh gosh person. Like I I rarely ever hear her swear. And then <laughs> like Does yeah, she me, only swear at traffic? Me? No, does she? Does she swear at traffic? 
she's actually pretty calm on the roads as opposed to me. Uh, this is the Northern Southerner. This is the Yankee Dixie divide. I've noticed that a lot of the people down here are a little calmer when it comes to being on the roads, whereas I'm just yelling at people. But the, you know, you know, it's also funny is, is, uh, the North South figuring, like teaching her little things about the North. She had no idea that highways up North don't have frontage roads. Don't have what? Frontage roads. Frontage like roads. roads. Say Access that? roads. Oh, Access roads. you mean like where you have How like a service on road on the. How do you get there? You have loops. Oh my God. This what? is. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, this I'm confused. Re- this was really funny because I. This reminds me of when Lorenzo came to Minnesota and we were driving across the Iowa border to go visit Josh Smith. And he noted, like, Lorenzo noticed the change of the color of the pavement. Hold on. Wait, stop. Did you just tell me that Minnesota borders Iowa? Yeah. yeah. I don't believe you. Do I need to pull up a map for you? I've so I've been to Iowa and Minnesota, and I still don't believe you. It's there. It's there. All right, I've been to the greatest city to... in Iowa, Council Bluffs, Iowa, home of the great Max Duggan. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he? Was he was at that game right where TCU played in Iowa? Oh yeah, except that game was bad. That was a rough game, bud. The whole rough. game I saw Matt. That was a rough oh. game there, guy. Oh, yeah, there, bud. So you got Minnesota right up here, Connor. And you got right south there, Des Moines. And we drove that. And we drove from about there all the way down to Des Moines. I don't believe what I'm looking at. But apparently the, the pavement changed colors. Yeah, so. When we crossed also, the border you know and Lorenzo autistically noticed that. It makes zero sense to me. That Missouri and Colorado both border Kansas. Oh, oh, oh my! You know what was really funny is. Oh, that's weird. It no, I hate it. that. Kansas isn't real. I was Kansas isn't real. Taking... We're not in Kansas anymore because Kansas never existed. I, I was I was thinking of taking a road trip up north to um, Fort Wayne, Indiana, because the Sweetwater store is there, which is the largest like music store in the world, basically, and they're great, and I love them. Oh, and... I'm by there. Yeah, and, and uh, the lady wanted to do it as well. So, but the funniest thing is she was like, oh, could we go up through like Colorado? And I was like, if you looked at a map, please look at it. <laughs> I guess it's good that I'm the only autistic person, but. Lorenzo is the sole autist. <laughs> I, I am the last of the autists. I'm Can autism's top guy. <laughs> Autism needs me. All right, what's the next topic? <laughs> I have no idea where, where we just got from. Well, okay. we are talking about how conservatives... Well, I was going to say, conservatives are, are still playing the game like it's 2016. Like, it's time to either... Like, here's the thing. Either embrace being the boogeyman and become, like, right-wing Christian nationalists, which I don't like. Boo. I Here's the thing. Because of you two, I'm friend, friendly with a lot of the more traditional Catholics and right-wingers. But also, Catholics aren't Christian nationalists. They're Catholic. They're Catholic universalists. Well, also, here's the thing. I, I, I don't actually care if someone becomes a Christian nationalist. What the right needs to do, though, they've got to stop playing their game. So Michael Knowles says a lot 
the, the through wing of or the through line of the left wing is anti-Christianity. And until you recognize that and the right gets it together and does some pro-Christianity, they're never going to satisfactorily challenge the left. And well, if you're not Christian, if you're like whatever listening, the reality is, okay, fine. There is an objective good and objective truth. Those are two things that do exist. Uh, yeah. And the left is anti the objective good. And when we sit here and pretend like, oh, well, they're pushing for their ideas, whatever. they're Blah. When we're pretending that the through line of all of their ideas is not challenging the objective good. And we don't push back with the objective good. And I'm not even meaning the full extent of like, say, okay, Christian nationalism and take a, I'm not saying make every knee bend, but like certain things like just like, no, sorry, what you believe is not the wrong opinion. It is wrong. And it's not, uh, if the morals were reversed, you're wrong. And the right doesn't have the balls to do that. Basically also with that, like, and this is one of the things I, I talked about. There was that broad who, um, was part of the Daily Wire, and she was saying, like, reasonable average for abortion is 22 weeks. And I was like, I I am around, I've grown up around liberals all my life, and a lot of them are like... The Len are Lorenzo is at least 22 weeks old. I was born eight weeks early. I probably would have been aborted under those rules. So, well, like, I it. like, even... Let me hear, let me, not... right, let me finish. That's, yeah, that's sorry, actually wild. Eight weeks. That's like two. That's like seven months. It's two months. No, no, yeah, no. He, I mean, because no. Seven months in. Yeah, you would have been. That would. You would have been like. That would have been a seven month. But he was like, really closer to eight months because you're actually pregnancies are normally like forty weeks, which is actually closer to ten months than it is nine. But Lorenzo, you needed to finish. So basically, one thing that I was going to say is, I. Sorry, I'm just putting him in my pocket. Um, the my you know my cocaine for the day. Um, so essentially, my mom is a liberal. For all intents and purposes, she's a liberal. She's also she's I'm getting her I'm getting her there. I don't think I'll ever get her to be like actually right wing. I'm getting her more libertarian, which that's you know ontologically evil. Oh shut up. <laughs> um, but the. She is one of the things she won't budge on is abortion. She's like, I understand the arguments of the pro-lifers. I was, but I also was a single mom, and I think women should have the right to choose. I cut it off at ten weeks. She cuts it off ten weeks. Now, by the standards of the modern left, that is pretty conservative. That's also a position that most America has. That's also not the position that the right wing should take. If the right wing wants to be the right wing, they should embrace the boogeyman and go, "We are banning abortion." Your, your right to choose is to choose plan B the next morning or suffer the consequences. Well, and I will say... Which I also will say, I don't think the morning after pill counts. I think it's fine. So there are that gets into complicated territory. That's not worth getting into on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. I was, all, all I'm saying is like, if you do an abortion ban and keep that around, I think that's, that's, a, that's a reasonable compromise in my opinion. I mean, my dream world wouldn't even allow for birth prevention pills, but that's a whole other problem. <laughs> Your dream world doesn't allow for condoms. That's birth. Yeah, yeah same thing. Actually. Birth prevention. None of that. Yeah, and that's um, but that's the thing is like but the reality is you're exactly right. 
And I've seen it a lot ever since this recent round of elections where right-wingers are coming out saying we have to take the moderate position. No. And I, I argued with some of our mutuals on this. I'm not opposed to taking the moderate position because it's achievable and will reduce abortions. And then once we've achieved that, moving forward to the next step. But what's driving me crazy is what I'm seeing a lot of from the right is I'm pro-life, but we need the moderate position because it's electable. And then when pushed on at all, you find that they're not pro-life. And like, okay, fine. That's another argument to be had. But it's if you wholeheartedly believe that abortion is the murder of a child, there's no conversation. Your conversation is not like this is the third most important issue behind whether or not we regulate certain tax laws or whether or not weed is this legal. is behind foreign policy and reining in the federal reserve supervision of fractional reserve banks well, and then it comes like, abortion I'm, I'm pro-choice i'm pro the woman's right to choose not to be a whore <laughs> lorenzo i'm not making this up if you go home right now or if you when we finish this episode go online and make merchandise for this podcast and that's a bumper sticker i will purchase it <laughs> The first bumper sticker we're ever going to get is one that is, says something really funny is about to happen. <laughs> Connor so, does not. Connor, you look lost. Yeah, I don't actually watch you guys' show, so I don't know. <laughs> wow. No, that's a, that's a TLE thing. Oh, okay. I I don't even watch TLE as much as I'd like to. You don't. Oh my! You don't even catch the news every week. Not gonna I make used it. To. Not gonna make it. I just. I catch it most weeks, but even that, I'm not their most, I'm not their strongest soldier. I am. Yeah, Lorenzo is the news' strongest soldier. Yeah, um, I, I will yeah. go, I, I will go, I will go do something at a Walmart for Bird. <laughs> okay, bud. Okay. So, basically, going back to actually talking about things, um, yeah, I think that the, the right actually needs to be the right. And this is the thing. Libertarians actually need to be libertarians. The left is already actually the left. There's no one on the left anymore going, hey, what about the people in the middle? There's no one like that anymore. The people that are, and I feel bad for the independents right in the middle, because right now we're just in an era of increasing political polarization. It's like either, you know, choose between right-wing Christian national, or it, it's either, like, the the moderates should actually just vote for the local GOP because it's probably closer to what they want. But, like, in terms of the politics you see online, it's either, you know, vote for, you know, nationalism. It's either vote for Christian nationalism or... That's it. That's the only choice. Okay, that's God the only choice. Himself cut Lorenzo out to say that the only choice is Christian nationalism. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. All right. So another story that we that we can cover is Connor. You actually wrote about this. So from KTLA, LA's very own KTLA five from Southern California reports: Homer Simpson will continue to strangle Bart on The Simpsons. Co-creator says, "We're so back." That was that was the biggest win I've seen in a while. Because they're going to write that off and pretend like, oh, it was just a joke. We were never meaning to do. They were meaning to shut it down. And we pushed, like, 
we as in like just the people of America actually pushed back enough that they changed it. And that's this really is, awesome. This is the really sad And you know what the worst part is? So I I wrote a power and market thing on this complaining about like the neo-Puritan left pushing for and people get mad at me for using the word neo-Puritan. That's the word Rothbard uses. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Ryan, sorry. Ryan was like, but the Puritans were good. No, they weren't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all of our gay Protestant listeners. I know I don't drink, but booze is cool. <laughs> I I don't drink. I'm actually going to... I I think that booze is not great to drink, but I think it's great to cook with. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm Lorenzo comes out as openly Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, how shocking. Mom, I'm coming out of the closet. Oh, you're gay? No, I'm Italian. Not in my household. <laughs> my mom is going to uh, teach me how to make sausage. There will be no Italians in this household. <laughs> but the reality was they did, they were shifting away from Homer Simpson strangling his kid. And it was because they wanted to pretend that we're better people than that now. And it wasn't people like me writing my dumb article, but like so many people came out complaining about that that it actually shifted the Simpsons on it. And well, I, had a, I had a couple of comments on my article saying that the Mises Institute hates the free market because we were because my article on their website was complaining about a market-driven change for him to stop stroking his, stro strangling his kid. Stroking his kid is a totally different thing, Connor. I tried to say choking and strangling, and it came out of stroking. Yeah, that's something... But anyway... That's Everybody definitely shouldn't do. There were multiple, like, of the worst kind of libertarians saying this was a market-driven change and the the neo-Confederate right-wing Mises Institute is showing its fascist roots. Hell and I was yeah, commenting at, like, all of them, like, okay, are you opposed to Yelp? Like, you're allowed to complain about what a business is. And I guarantee those same people are not here looking at the fact that they caved to the right-wing who wanted them to choke his kid saying, oh, well, that was just a market-driven decision also. Well, and, and here's the thing as well. This one thing is, like, it's great that it happened, but it is also so unbelievably sad that, like... A this is our victory. This is what yeah, we have to like, celebrate. The, the left, like, like the left can, like, TM, the left TM can go and, like, be like, we just got the Ohio right to abortion, the Constitution. It's like, yeah, well, we got Bart Simpson to be, be choked again. Like... It's it's a little it's a You'd little think like, after what they did in Ohio, they'd like the part about choking children. Oh my god. <laughs> well, and and here's the thing, like it this is the other problem with the right. The right will go like the whole bud the bud light thing is funny to me because yes, Bud Light has do you see that do you guys see that Babylon B article that was like to regain its image? Uh, bud light is partnering with the UFC, the sport of sweaty naked men wrestling or something like that. <laughs> Like, but that did so, happen. So yeah, and here's the thing. Bud Light, as a name, probably it'll take them years to get back to where they were. Because even my normie friends are like, I don't want to drink the tranny beer. Like, like even my normie liberal friends are still like, well, I don't know. My favorite example with Bud Light, my little brother doesn't drink Bud Light. My brother doesn't care about politics at all, doesn't care that they did that. But when he orders a Bud Light in public, people call him gay. <laughs> Yeah, and like, so, you just and, don't drink Bud Light now. So here's the thing: the problem is that that's not doing fucking anything to Anheuser Busch because they're like, instead, I'm drinking, you know, fucking Bush Light owned by Anheuser Busch. So I actually have to say I disagree with that. 
Because I mean, the whole I actually have an article on Mises Wire for this. Um, if you look up Connor Mortel, Mises.org, Bud Light, it should come up. Um, but it uh at the end of the day, Bud Light may not feel actual my financial pain as an entire corporation, but their number one selling beer fell below the number one slot. And that in and of itself is something they're going to notice. Even if it doesn't truly hurt them, that will change the way they advertise forever. The problem yeah. is it's just like Bart Simpson, where our win is that we changed the way Anheuser-Busch advertises. That's it. Yeah, and it, it it's and not, is... no one else is, Yingling is not advertising better because Yingling's always been cool because they were America's oldest brewery and they're already conservative. Joe is a big As far Yingling as corporations guy. go. But, they aren't doing anything different because of it. no one is doing anything different except for like three Anheuser-Busch employees. So I do believe it was a success, but it's like a Bart Simpson success. Well, and here's the thing as well. There's like, and this is the other problem. And this is another thing I, I have an issue with LP type libertarians about is they put all this time and money into this stuff. And it's like the real, the left makes huge strides. What are you doing? Come on. Move! <laughs> I'm walking here. Hey, I'm walking here. You can hear my. You can hear my like. So I have the Midwest accent, but you can hear my New York immediately come out the minute I have any slight inconvenience. Um, but basically, that's that's. I'm hold on, just so we're in the. Oh my gosh, I almost. Dear Lord, um, that's his New Yorker coming out. <laughs> yes. That's, that's my no idea. other subject of New York population that doesn't handle slight inconvenience well and has a proclivity to wine. <laughs> yeah, it's so here's so like what I was going to get at was the the left makes wins like if you're going to talk about those kind of little victories, the left makes those on a daily basis and no one talks about them. But, like here's here's an example. Remember in June 2020, when I think the Associated Press went, we are capitalizing black, but not capitalizing white. Remember that? No. No. They, okay. But that's My the point. point Basically, what happened is that um, the, the Associated Press like guidelines went right after, basically what was really funny was after the whole thing with George Floyd, every, like... Every corporation scrambled to try to become as woke as possible without doing anything important. Like, they took all the minorities off the brands, and now I can't have the hot, sexy Land Lakes lady on my butter. Um, but the. So, but what I was gonna say is that they went and they were like, in the interest of racial equity, we are gonna capitalize black, like the B in black, because it represents a distinct racial culture but not white. And people made a big deal about it because they were like, well, that's just like the, the optics of that are black people are superior to white people, which is what they believe. They have a fetish. Everyone on the left has a fetish for black people and brown people and third world shitholes. They basically, that's their entire policy. It's nothing You know fancy. who has a great a little piece of writing on exactly what Lorenzo's saying? Theodore John Kaczynski. No good grief. But well, Ted Kaczynski, 
Ted Kaczynski, I know people don't like him, but Ted Kaczynski's argument about the psychology of leftism is really good. And it, he talks about how it shows that they, he basically says what you just said, that they have a, a fetish yeah, for it. weakness. And I'm not calling black weak, but what he basically it's, says is they always pick victim groups because they, they, they project their own inferiority losers. complex, complex into their yeah. politics. Leftism is a mindset for losers and gay people. Like that's exactly it. That's almost and, exactly what Ted Kaczynski wrote, word and, for word. Well, yeah, and this is and this is the one time where I'm like, yeah, Ted actually. This is the like the problem is that you can also look at people that have really good critiques of the left that kind of go on that that also don't have the second half of the manifesto where he goes, I insulin production is people. bad. Yeah, like that's the problem is like there's like yes, his critique of leftism is spot on. Every other part of that book is absolute crazy nonsense. It's a great book. Every person should read um, it, and every person should tell Joe why he's wrong I about everything. That, um, I read it. I, I I read it on a public train. That's amazing. I read it at the post office. Oh, good grief! Did we lose Lorenzo? I don't know. He's been cutting in and out. This is a very high production podcast for for this week what was the what was the subject at hand though um bart simpson bart simpson i don't know i just thought this would be interesting open oh, there goes lorenzo so just connor you're stuck with me for now if the internet works i'm good okay well you're stuck with me my friend you're stuck with me so Tell us more about your article uh, on the subject. Okay, so the, the article basically, so anyone who's read my other stuff for the Mises Institute or follows me on Twitter or has seen my Radio Rothbard appearance knows that, or one of my Radio Rothbard appearances, knows that I am a tobacco smoker's strongest defender. And one of my favorite articles Murray Rothbard's ever written was his uh, t uh, America's Most Persecuted Minority Tobacco Smokers. And I... I love that for the meme of it all, and I love that because I am a tobacco smoker. But I also love it because it's a really, really good article about the dangers of neo-Puritanism or whatever you want to call what it is that particularly the left does, where you can't smoke because it's bad for you. You shouldn't eat junk food, and we should regulate junk food because it's bad for you. And I basically wrote an article, and I paralleled and referred to America's Most Persecuted Minority saying... That's exactly what's happening with Bart Simpson. Nobody thinks that it's okay to straight up strangle your child just because he said you ate one too many donuts. And at the end of the day, no one thought that 30 years, the times haven't changed in that regard. And the Simpsons made that little piece, oh, the times have changed. And it's, it's just good to see us push back and get that win. Lorenzo, we missed you. You're alive. Yeah, I, uh, Ted got mad at me. I was bad mouthing. Uh, did I miss my exit? Um, Lorenzo got a little too technophile and the car exploded. I love technology. <laughs> All right. Um, so, basically, what I was going to say, and then I do have to leave. Um, I, I, I was going to go back. Okay. So, the left, the, the people, the uh, AP, basically went and said, you know, we worship black people. Oh shit, where did I end up? The fuck is the JC Penny? Um, 
but uh, you know, they they put out their thing. It was like, yeah, we worship black people. What are you going to do about it? You know, we we have this institutional power, and the the right made a big stink about it, and then nothing happened, and now black is capitalized and white's not. Right? You see it all the time. Another good example. The this was on the latest TLE, which you probably didn't listen to, Connor, but they talked about how bird species they're like renaming. Yes, I did listen to that one. Yeah. So like that's a small thing, but like the left does this on a like on a weekly basis. Every week you can probably find a thing of like this place or this thing is being renamed because of offensive or problematic practices in the past and times have changed and blah 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 blah. So like every week this is happening. We just catch one or two when conservatives actually think about the ones that matter to them. And lo and behold, it's bread and games, essentially. It's beer and it's it's beer and TV. Like, you know, you can, you know, you can have decades of scientific research wiped out, but God forbid that they, you know, change the Simpsons. Like, you know, it's and here's I'm not one of like the sports ball libertarians. Um, cause I think those people are, yeah, you better like not be one of those people, especially, you know, who you're in the company of friend. Dude, I fucking love football. I love hell. Football. Yeah, brother. I, you see, I am so upset that I need to ask my buddy what he thinks about the revivalry name change. It's the worst thing ever. It's so bad. It's absolutely atrocious. So for what our was listeners, their, what, was their justification? what was their justification? So Connor first fill them in, fill them in, fill in the people what the what the rivalry is so the rivalry is the oldest college football rivalry in the state of texas tcu and baylor have been rivalry rivals since 1896 in 1911 baylor burned tcu's campus to the ground but before that we were in the same city of waco and we got moved to fort worth after they burned our campus to the ground we became southwest conference rivals throughout most of the 1900s once the southwest conference was formed but when the Southwest Conference ended, the revival, the rivalry ended because TCU and Baylor stopped playing each other at the end of the Southwest Conference. TCU got kind of left out in the dust and got left not in a real conference while Baylor jumped ship and made it to the Big 12. In 2006, TCU and Baylor revived the rivalry because it is two Christian schools playing each other. So there's the terms there. And because it is a revived rivalry, they named it the Revivalry. So that's only been the name for about 17 years. But it took on that name in reference to 100 plus years of history being pointed to. Yeah. Then this week, they the TCU student government and the Baylor student government got together and everybody's always said there should be a trophy for this game because all college rivalries should have an awesome trophy and that's great except the problem is they made a terrible trophy and in the process they renamed it to the blue bonnet battle which is just a knockoff of the kansas kansas state sunflower showdown and on top of it blue bonnets aren't even that like, yes, they're the Texas State flower, but they have nothing to do with our rivalry. And the rivalry already had a name. But once again, democracy was the god that failed. And TCU and Baylor student governments got together and jerked themselves off to feel special with their own name. And now we have to live with it for 100 years. And I'm going to kill somebody. This is this is Call the, it the first Southwest time, showdown. This is the first go. time in like 
Over call it the rivalry. We don't need a new name. This is this is this is the first time in over a century that Baylor and TCU fans are like getting they're like finding common ground on literally anything. We turn well, I on the a picture on my Twitter, and it's the one picture of the blood in the crypt with their bandanas tied together. And then I edited it to be Baylor and TCU, and then on the <laughs> bandanas it said it's called the rivalry. Damn straight. All right, I do have to leave. I got to go make this final fucking purchase at my fucking Apple thing, and then I got to go to work. But you guys continue on without me. I love you. Lorenzo, always a blast chatting with you. So he's a blast. Lorenzo, where can the people find you? Where can they support you and help you get a, help you get a better situation where you don't have to record in the car? <laughs> it's fine. It was fine. I just I misscheduled things. On Twitter, you can find me at prog underscore enjoyer7. Uh, Instagram is Lorenzo underscore Silvio. What is the, my rule for that, David? No politics. It's like a children's <laughs> show. <laughs> Good job. Uh, yeah, check out my band. It'll be in the, every link should be in the description. If you're an awesome musician, hit me up. Um, and if you want to go bomb Fort Worth, I'm kidding. Um, uh, pump the brakes, bud. I'm going to commit a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> I'll meet you right there, brother. All, All right. right. Well, thank you, Lorenzo. It was good chatting with you as it was always. Good chatting with you. Now you guys can talk about your gay Catholic stuff. Sorry, what? What was that, Lorenzo? Sorry, what? Okay. Well, that's a shame. Well, Connor, we have a mutual love of 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 our next topic because who doesn't love Napoleon, right? Like, are you excited about Napoleon? The movie. I have to the- say. I'm kind of, this is so, so obnoxious to say, I'm less excited about the movie because everyone else is excited about it. And that's just an a-hole thing to say, but I am less excited because everyone's excited, but I can't wait for it. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be great. But the Telegraph just came out with this piece uh, by Ant Anthony Beaver, which enough said about why we're still in love with the idea that great men shape history. The theory that history is defined by alpha males feels unfashionable and offensive, but Ridley Scott's Napoleon proves we can't let it go. (sighs) And so it basically goes on to describe how the great man theory became a thing, right? And how we talk about characters like Napoleon and Caesar and Alexander, and all these guys, and how Tolstoy didn't like that, and how Freud was like, it's because everyone wants a dad, um, all that fun jazz. And so it's, it basically talks about why it's problematic. Like, listen to this. Today we may dislike the great men theory of history because it belittles a whole range of other factors. It also carries the insulting implication that women cannot be great leaders, despite them being much less susceptible to the narcissistic narratives so favored by male dictators. But does that not mean that it is without truth? Huh? And so then it goes on to basically describe how Hitler was a, co- a suppose was a great man, like in that theory. And that Hitler was a like, great man the- of history. Like he was a bad man. He was not a good man of history, but he was a great man of history. Yeah. So it goes Xerxes the Great, Alexander the Great, Hannibal, Charlemagne, and Genghis Khan all achieved historical developments through conquest. And so it goes on to describe that and how nowadays we just kind of put everything into the terms of like 
Hitler and Chamberlain and Churchill and all that stuff. And we don't have great statesmen, but how we have just have this obsession. And they included this pic- shirtless picture of Putin riding a horse. <laughs> I don't know. And Basically, the reality is like right from the get go. It says that it basically tries to ascribe the entirety of thinking about great men um, that that being inspired by great men as like a misogynistic and evil thing and that it just it empowers evil dictators. Well, and right from the get go, it says it feels unfashionable and offensive. But why? Because men have been successful. You could even like through the to use a word Lorenzo loves, through the wokest, most left lens of history, you could believe that the patriarchy has been oppressive and that's the reason women haven't been the great women of history. But the fact that great, even under that guise, it'd still be true that history is shaped by great men. And the reality of the matter is that's always going to be true because that's how things get done. Things are done by people who rise up. And you can look at even even things that aren't Hitler levels. Like, you look at, we were just talking about it when we said Hillary was caught off guard by not knowing what politics were like anymore. The thing is, Trump single-handedly changed the groundwork of politics. Trump was a great man in that regard. And that doesn't have to mean good man. You don't have to like him. But whether you like it or not, he single-handedly changed the game. And then even the littlest thing, like as I just made clear on my little rant about the rivalry, I'm a TCU football fan. And last year, TCU football made it to the playoffs. And it was because Max Duggan as a quarterback walked out there and threw his heart into every single game and poured his heart out and was the kind of leader that other men rally behind. And without him, there's a lot of flaws with the team and we're not good this year and it makes me want to cry. And there are other reasons we've become worse, but Max was an enormous factor. And that's because on something as simple as a football field, you need to have great men as leaders. And you can look at any other circumstance. There's a reason Hoppe wrote about the natural elite. There are always going to be people who are better leaders than others. And at the end of the day, those people are going to be the ones who shape history. And we can sit here and pretend it's misogynistic all we want, that's how it works, and that's how it's always going to work. And if you want to take the, oh, it's 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 that alpha males are unfashionable and offensive, it's like, okay, well, if it's not that, you have to tell me what else it is, because it's not other factors. If Napoleon hadn't been born, the history of France would look different. If Hitler hadn't been born, the history of the world would look different. And great men matter. And if you're going to try and say that it's unfashionable, then you've got to tell me what's fashionable instead because the explanation is not that yes, there were people on the ground and there were other factors, but those things weren't coming together without the great men. Like, like history isn't being shaped by gradual evolutions of the people changing their opinions, everything. That's not how things works. Look at, look at what radically changed America, right? Like you had people like Abraham Lincoln and FDR who became basically dictators, who basically yeah. radically changed the way that America operated. Like and that is, those are, men, but they were those, certainly great men. They were great men. Yeah. And so that's history. Isn't about like, you know, gradual evolutions to get to where we are. We're just not continually improving. It's no, it takes people with a huge ideological division. Well, I, I well, a huge ideological conviction 
pushing forward with their ideas and their ideals. That is what it is. When you even look at like, I mean, look at something as simple as going to the gospel. God preached to everybody. But God is literally God. He could have spoken to the entire world, but that's not how he did it. He gave his ideas to 12 great men. And the West was built off of those 12 great men. Like, at the end of the day, great men are what shape the gradual ideas. If gradual ideas are changing, it's because a man led people that way. Yeah. I mean, you just see just a radical shape in views. Like, um, I mean, just I, I think Lincoln is the finest example because you had this kind of com- you had this combat between, you know, the Jacksonian Democrats and the Whigs for the longest time. And the Whigs just kind of fell apart. Right. And like we weren't we weren't actually realizing what Henry Clay called the American system. And then Lincoln comes in and Lincoln basically enacts it like and he is what happens because Lincoln was an American Caesar. That's what he was in the simplest sense. And he crossed the Rubicon. He shredded the Constitution and the idea of the union of states to make it into the United States of America rather than these United States. Like he radically changed it to get that vision that was that never gradually was realized. Because there was these, there were these fluctuations, right? Like you would get the, you would get the, you would get the Federalists, right? And then you had the Jeffersonians. They come in, and the Jeffersonians get corrupted. And then you have the Jacksonians come in, and then they go and fight with the Whigs for like twenty years. And you just have like it's, it just kept going back and forth. And you didn't have that that forward pitch into the world that we're in now, right? It didn't just gradually do it. It took Lincoln coming in as that American Caesar to really like stomp down on the Jacksonian vision of government, the Jacksonian Jeffersonian idea, and you just crack down on it. And that's how we got where we are now with our tariff systems, with protectionism and, you know, the mass centralization of the American government. And then you can go and you can follow it from there to McKinley with our foreign policy and then to Wilson with even more on foreign policy and domestic policy with the Federal Reserve and the income tax. And it's just like, it takes these kind of like, American Caesars to radically pitch us towards these new things. Otherwise you just get these periods of like lulls and they're going back and forth. Right. Like we didn't get any radical changes to policy between like Nixon and probably, probably Barack Obama. Right. Like it was just kind of going back and forth, moderate thing that was only interrupted because we had nine 11 and we had the 2008 recession. Like history is shaped by great men and they, they aren't necessarily good men, but they're great men because they can seize on the moment on the chaos, like the article rightly points out. Right. And they can go and pitch an ideological vision that moves masses of people to move history because people are all individual, rational actors and we all have our different ideas, but it takes a great man to radically move everyone's vision in the same direction. David, I've got good news and bad news all in the same piece of news. Tell me. You're no longer the news because the real news has dropped. We're still the news. We're still the news. We started recording. We got this. I'm still titling this episode. We are the news. But I'll keep that in mind. But But yeah, everything you just said is exactly right. 100% agree. I mean, I don't even know if I have anything to add that was spot on. Yeah. So... Connor, you're obviously, you've been a teacher, right? 
I have been a teacher. You have been a teacher. So maybe you can answer Randy Weingarten's question, what's behind the increase in homeschooling? She cites an Axios article where they talk about basically how homeschooling is now the fastest growing form of education, according to the Washington Post. And clearly, Randy Weingarten has a problem with that. Randy, I hang out in Kiev half the year. Gart Weingarten seems to hate homeschooling. So what's her beef, Connor? Why does she hate homeschooling? And why is it because teachers unions are ontologically evil? So I have to say, first of all, my girlfriend is a product of homeschooling. I'm quite proud of that. Um, but also, I back when I was a teacher, I had a student who I won't name because they're children. Um, but she was by and far the best student in my class. Mm. She was certainly one of the best students in my class. And she was homeschooled. In fact, routinely, I would see students who were vastly overperforming their peers, and they were all homeschooled. And at the end of the day, it's because a lot of schooling is, un a lot of what happens at school is unnecessary. Large parts of the day are filling time because your job is also not just to educate kids, but to keep kids busy while their parents are at work. And that's a noble task. Some families can't afford to homeschool. Some families, like that, that's part of life. That, so that's, that's great that there's a place for, parent, for kids to be kept busy while their parents are at work, while they can learn a little bit. But the parents that are actually capable of homeschooling have an enormous opportunity where they can get done in two to three hours what gets done in seven hours at school. And that leaves you with either two options. One, the kids are spending more time outside of a school environment with their family or doing activities or just learning out in the world. Or two, they're spending twice as much time in an actual school environment. And I've got nothing against schooling. I, like I said, I was a teacher. I love, I, I know some of the best teachers there have ever been. I knew students who came out absolutely phenomenally out of the school where I taught. But at the end of the day, there's also students who come out phenomenally out of homeschools. And it leaves people with two options. One, teachers can recognize that for what it is and say that this is an awesome other option for kids. Or teachers can try and justify themselves and say, if anyone tries to teach me, teach kids that's not me, they're not as qualified as I am and they're going to do it wrong. And a lot of teachers, unfortunately, come out that way and say, well, it's, it's completely everyone else's fault. I would have taught their kids better. And we saw a lot of that. I mean, this is a really basic take, but it's a reality of it. A huge part of the increase in homeschooling answering Randy's question is COVID. Because what happened was like, I love the school where I used to teach. It's the school where I went as a child. And I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, but like they did field day on online. And that's How a- do you do online field they day? Sent, they literally sent home packets of games and you were timed and whatnot. And it was actually really fun for the kids. I wasn't there, but I heard great things. But most schools definitely canceled events like that. And that would have been fine. The problem- is the schools that were canceling those events like that were not doing it in exchange for teaching better. It's not like recess went away and now we're going to spend this time, like we're going to spend a different focus. It's that parents ended up seeing that their students are really only being taught two or three hours a day. And that changes at certain ages, but especially when kids are really young, there's a lot of time spent just filling time. 
And when parents realized that, they said, screw it. Let's take our kids out of school and they homeschool. And it's entirely acceptable to send your kids to school, especially I think young boys, it's very good for them to get that social experience of school. But it's also entirely acceptable to say, you know what? They don't need it. My kid will be fine. My kid will socialize other ways. And you see homeschooling have this rise when parents start seeing exactly what's happening in schools. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as somebody who has a recent high school graduate and had to spend at least two years, maybe, maybe two and a half going through all the COVID stuff, I could definitely, like, I became radicalized. Like, I became a libertarian pro and a, like an anarcho capitalist libertarian because of the schooling system, ultimately, because of the massive failures of the public schooling system. It, during 2020 that is why i became like radicalized really and it's because like the 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 school it didn't seem to really care about the students and it was removed and it was distant and it didn't seem to care at all and i was like i was i'm somebody who did well in school like obviously i'm i'm getting a college education now i got a decent scholarship i ha i I did decently at school. I can do the weird, like, you know, sit down and pay attention for hours at a time thing. That's, that's kind of my thing. I I'm able to do that. I have that attention span, but not every kid does. And having them sit in front of their computers just kind of really revealed to a lot of parents, just how stupid everything was and how horrible it was. Not to mention just that public schooling is like, I know you don't like Michael Malice, but I really like Michael Malice. And I think one of the best things he ever said was that public schools are basically prisons for children where you are sent for seven hours a day. You are locked in there. You have to ask permission to use the bathroom. You are basically given chores to do there. They take more time out of your day outside of that place as well. And it might be the only place in your life where you experience physical violence and you don't get to, you don't get the choice to go there. You have to go back to the same place where you may have just experienced violence. Right. And you're not allowed to defend yourself either. Like that in, is another in, disgusting thing. In reality, I do think people like Michael Malice oversell it a little bit where I do think in a lot of your life, you are going to have to sit down and shut up and it's a skill you need to learn to do, but you also are one his quote about it's the only place people experience physical violence public schools that's very accurate uh, that's very it's it's not to say all public schools kids experience physical violence but it is to say that the vast majority of people who have experienced physical violence it was at public school and very often nowhere else um but at the end of the day the other thing about it is that you're gonna have to spend a lot of your life sitting down and shutting up and it's important to learn that skill but also, even if it helps you in life, you only get so many years as a child when the world is magical. And it's public school's job to take that away. And that's incredibly depressing. Like, at the end of the day, when, when in elementary school, because I used to teach at an elementary school, and when, when, you're when you're in an elementary school and the kids get those chores and those jobs – they're incredibly excited by it because children want order and they want good things, but they also don't. It's, it's not something you can thrust on completely. Like you have to remember their children. Like they have to go out and also have recess and they have to have magic in their lives. And the more you push away from that magic, the worse schooling gets. 
I, I think one of the big things is like hating reading is a purely a product of the school system because it makes and it- I can vouch for this. I can vouch for this. My the literary coach at my or literary specialist, whatever the official word is at the school I taught was freaking awesome at the school where I taught. I cannot make this up. Kids were peer pressured to read more. Like, I don't want to say kids were bullied for this because it wasn't bullying, but like for lack of a better word, kids would get bullied for not having finished enough books that month because they had competitions across the school that were like, if the blue team reads the most books, they get extra points or whatnot. And lots of schools try to do that. But our literary, uh, our literary, uh, whatever you call it, was very good at implementing them in a way that the kids actually cared about them. And the kids loved reading. They would cheer every time there was a reading announcement. And you were straight up, straight up, like, the peer pressure was to read. So I 100% agree. It took one person being a good, a really good teacher about reading to make an entire generation of kids passing through a school love to read. And I don't know how they're going to end up in 10 years, but I know that right now those kids love to read. And I think you're 100% right that these standard like, oh, I hate reading or I'd read more if I had the time, but I just don't want it's too much work. That mindset comes entirely as a product of the school system making kids not like reading. Yeah, I think a big part of it is what it does is it makes reading into a chore. You aren't really given a decision over what you have to read. They choose it for you. It's often on things you aren't interested in, you aren't motivated to. And then you have to go and give like a report or something, like a book report. And that makes it into a chore. It makes it not fun for you to do it. And I had the, I, I was the, I was a weird kid. Like I was the weird kid. Like my first words were, was clock of all things. It was clock. And I was the weird kid who would sit in my parents, in my grandparents' basement and just draw on this like really old printer paper, you know, like the kinds that has like the, where you peel off the edges and they have like the, the lines in there, little dot things in there. Like it's old industrial printer paper. I was just drawing that for hours. I could do that. I loved reading. My grandmother and my mother basically, uh, I didn't have a whole lot, but I we had books and books were just like, I loved it. I loved reading, but I can see just from looking at my peers that the way that schools teach reading in this book report method makes kids not like reading. Like they don't, they don't enjoy it. And I will say a lot of parents who are, I I, I was going to say left wing or libertarian or something, but honestly, it's not even political alignment. It has nothing to do with that. It's just something that happens across that. A lot of parents overcorrect and a lot of teachers desire to overcorrect where they give the kid the whole choice. There are a lot of times a kid shouldn't have a choice. Kids kids have to learn from authority. Kids like authority and authority matters. And you do need to sometimes say, shut up and read this book. You need to say it nicer because it's a child, but you need to effectively say that. And kids who get the overcorrection of you get to pick every book and you get to pick our schedule, that that creates just as terrible of kids. But there is a way to do it and a way to do it right. And what we're doing is not it. And I'm not going to pretend to be a perfect expert to have it. You need to have authority in kids' lives. Kids kids sometimes need to be told you have to read this book. But kids also sometimes need to be able to just walk into the library and grab a book. And whatever book it is. Even if it's a dumb book. But because they grabbed it themselves, they'll be excited by it. And even, especially in high school, 
kids do need to be assigned books to read that they don't want to read and write a report that they don't want to write because that's what life's going to look like. They're going to be given things they don't want that they have to do. So that's something that's an important skill and you don't want to overcorrect and get rid of that. But you also can't commit entirely to we're producing workers because again, what I said earlier, like they're children and even a 16 year old, the world is still magical. There's still hope that kid believes he can be president and he probably doesn't believe that, but he believes ridiculous things about what he can do with his life. And that ambition should stay there for a very long time because it's dumb, ambitious 20 year olds that make the world go round. Um, so at the end of the day, there you don't want to overcorrect and say, okay, it's bad that they get forced to read every single thing. They should be forced to have certain things and get some authority in their lives. But they also need to learn if if you just force it on them, if that's the only way they experience it, they're only going to associate it with work. Because like, yes, I've had to work and do things that I don't want to do. But if you asked me to do those things now, I wouldn't want to do them because they were work. So they've got to learn to work, but they've also got to learn other contexts of reading than just work. Yeah. And one of the things that, that my family always did was we would always make a point to go and visit the public library and, you know, whatever, put the homeless people in the public libraries, whatever. Uh, but Oh, thanks, Walter Block. Thanks, Walter. But um, I, I, I loved going to the public libraries and checking out books. And my mom would just be like, kind of go free range, go get a book, read it, you know, stuff like that. I'd get Calvin and Hobbes, I'd get like comic, like these little graphic novel things. I get all that fun jazz. I, I, I loved reading. It, it's 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 what came out of my life. I, I end up loving loving reading. I still love reading if I had more time for it. <laughs> but um, I don't know. And I feel like that kind of touches on like you know, the that almost reminds me of like the justification for like why do we baptize children in the Catholic Church? And it's because well, if you if you give a child and, and you put them in the in the cereal aisle and you're like choose the cereal you want them to get, they're not going to have any idea what to do. But if you give them two options. What by limiting their options just a little bit, it allows them so much more freedom to make a choice there, which is kind of like the argument for like baptism, right? Like we we educate them, we promise to teach them like a Christian Catholic life, and so we we kind of make that decision and allows them down the road to make that better decision, right? Because now there's not like everything is opened up or whatever. Obviously, I'm sure there's more theological reasons as well. The best argument for child baptism that I've ever heard is, and it's going to piss off your audience uh, because it's it's the vaccine argument. Now, vaccines may be bad, may be good, whatever. I'm not going to fight that fight. Um, but if you were to accept on face value that the polio vaccine is saved saved the world, and it is actually as good of a vaccine as people say it, if that's objectively true, then you shouldn't wait for the kid to be old enough to read the scientific papers to decide if he wants polio or not. And baptism is objectively saving that child's soul. So at the end of the day, that child should have to make the decision on its own. And that's why we have confirmation for the child to later renew his promises on him on his own. But at the end of the day, you should save that child's soul from the get go. And if it's if we know it's objectively going to save that child's soul, then we should be giving it to that child as soon as possible. Um, and again, it's funny because that that all goes back to the children thing again. Because like I was saying, there are certain times authority matters. There are children need a little bit of everything, and at the end of the day, there are time. And what do I know? I don't have kids. I'm an idiot. But 
there are times that kids need to be let loose in the library and say, pick any book. I don't care what book it is. And there are times that kids need to be given three books and say, take one of these books, which is like your aisle. And there are times that kids need to read the book they get told to read. And there is a spectrum of authority and they need to have, sometimes we need to say, this is what's good for you. And we need to give it to you and say, this is, take it as it is. This is what's good for you. Sometimes we need to say, you're in the aisle, pick two things. And sometimes we need to give them free reign. And the school system just doesn't do that. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. And I know, I don't know, it's something. I don't know. I'm just happy that um, my my mom's going to be homeschooling my younger two sisters because obviously me and then the older of the of – because I have four younger siblings. And so the older two are already like, you know, in high school doing whatever. They're going to graduate. They're going to not be – they're not going to go insane. They're not going to be indoctrinated into – whatever gender ideology crap that that's going on around now, but the younger two will never experience that whatsoever because they're going to be homeschooled. And I'm, I'm so, so happy about that, that that's, and, and my, my little sisters are going to still be socialized because they're going to be going to homeschool groups. They're going to be going to like girl scout event things, whatever. I don't know what the girl scouts do. I was a boy scout as they do whatever they're a cookie cartel, but, um, my 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 younger sisters are going to have that and i'm i'm so incredibly happy about that i think i would have flourished even more if i had had the opportunity to do homeschool but i think part of it was also cuz like i went to a charter school from uh from like kindergarten to like third grade and i think that gave me a boost like i remember in second grade i had to write a paper on a guy who fought napoleon in the caribbean his name was Toussaint Charbonneau i believe i think maybe i could be wrong but it was, I don't it was, remember. You're gonna have to go for it. He was it in anyway. the he was in he was in the Dominican Republic, and he basically fought Napoleon for like you know the independence of this Caribbean nation. I wrote a I wrote a paper about this guy in second grade that tells you what my charter school was like. It's a weird weird school, but I don't know. I I I definitely I I was a, I'm an anomaly, not a not a normal thing in the education system to say the least. So I don't know. Ooh, let's see. We we do have one more topic if you wanted to touch on that, Connor. Sure thing. What is it? All right. So I, I I sometimes bring my stupid little things into this. And so I'm a big fan of Garfield. I loved comics as a kid. And they're making another Garfield movie. And so a trailer just dropped of this. And so I wanted to get your initial thoughts about this. You hungry little guy? I don't like the animation style, though. I'm not going to lie. It's just not my thing. I hate the animation style so much. Yeah, the people look particularly weird in the animation style. Yeah. Oh. Like, I could almost get on board with the way Garfield Hi, is, is animated. I have no issue with the way Garfield is. Yeah. But the people are really weird. But that's not even the... Like, there, it gets it gets worse. You'll see. And it's my not animation. It's way too heartfelt right now. Huh? Say that again? Said my issue so far is that it's way too heartfelt. Yeah, I don't know. Like it this, needs this, to be funnier. 
this feels like a serious movie. You know, it feels like Scoob. Like, did you wa- ever watch that? I did not. So I, I, I obviously watched a bunch of Scooby-Doo as a kid, so I had to watch Scoob. You know, like, they animated, oh, this is how Scooby-Doo met Shaggy or whatever, an origin story or whatever, right? And I loved it. It was a great film, but it was like, it got weirdly sad. And so, I don't know. <laughs> you want a little more? There we go. Now we're getting into the dark of the mall. And that's how I adopted John. Okay, now have you ever been with a plate? Don't need a spatula. No, please, no. Ow, it's so high. Ow, it's really hurting. Ow, ow, ow. You deserve to be seen with somebody as <sighs> Say when. Never, John. Bury me in cheese. Oh. I apologize in advance. The eating you're about to see will not be pretty. And if you have young children, this would be a good time for them to leave the room. You ain't never seen nobody this oh! Hey, Junior, this is Vic, my father. You ever jumped a train? I've never jumped. Here's that stop. Really? Where? Oh, <laughs> Odie, you'd think he'd see that coming. Let's get it. I deserve to be with somebody as me. I'm not here for it, to be honest. I liked it more towards the end. I mean, it's it's obviously a children's movie, so you and I aren't totally its target demographic. But like it it was better. The commercial was about twice as long as it should have been. It should have cut all that sappy sentimental stuff, and that can be how they start the movie. But you shouldn't have wasted commercial time on the sappy, sentimental stuff. Should have cut right to Garfield eating meatballs and being and eating lasagna. I like Chris Pratt. I, I honestly, my my biggest issue is is the Chris Pratt voice. Really? Because I, I I I mean I'm here coming from like an older Garfield movies, and the older Garfield movies have like this one voice actor for like all of them. And it's just very distinct. And he kind of has like, you know, the lazy kind of talking like this sort of thing. And it's like, I don't know. Chris Pratt just sounds way too active for Garfield. It just sounds like Chris Pratt. Like, it doesn't sound like he's he's doing a a, a voice thing. I thought he did good for Mario, though. Not going to lie. I didn't see that, so I don't know. It was actually pretty good, but that's because it kind of stayed true to the IP and didn't try to do anything else. So, I don't know. To the what? I the I the IP man, David IP's strongest defender. <laughs> so true. No, I just no, but uh, that's also where it just refers, of course, because because obviously the listeners now are just gonna get like, oh, I just do right. I told you property. IP can also just refer to like a concept and like kind of character, the kind of character's persona. So I don't know, but uh, that's the Garfield. That's a Garfield movie. I don't know. But yeah, all right. So I think we've been going for about an hour and 24 minutes. I'm sure I'm going to have to cut like 10 minutes worth of stuff for whatever technical reasons. So I'll I'll get to that. But uh, Connor, where can the uh, people find you? So I already mentioned it earlier. If you uh, just search Connor Mortel on the Mises website, you'll find some of the stuff I've written. Uh, and then if you look me up on Twitter, I'm at Natural Authority. There's no why, though. It's just Natural Authority because Natural Authority didn't fit in the number of characters I was allowed to have. How? And then also, if you are interested in college football or now college basketball as we get into that season of the year, 
and it'll later be college baseball as we get further into the spring. Uh, I do have a college sports podcast. It focuses mainly on TCU, but for about 20 minutes at each episode, we discuss the biggest games from around the week and the upcoming games, what we expect to see from them and what we expect of all the teams. Our, uh, my co-hosts Barrett and Jacob do deep research into the other teams we look at. So they give stuff that a lot of people won't be familiar with. So you can find that podcast. It's at TCU's three wise men. We are on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and YouTube. So go subscribe, check that out and follow me on Twitter or follow at TCU's three wise men on Twitter. That's about it. Yeah. And I will link all of those below in the video description. As always, you can go and support the podcast by liking, subscribing, following, leaving a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to it on. You can find it on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Amazon music and podcasts. Now, uh, Google Podcasts, all that fun jazz. You can find it on YouTube, as always. I'm sure most of you are listening to it on YouTube. Uh, but you can go to all those different platforms. Just find Every Week is Chaos, and you should be able to find it there. You can find me specifically at Real David B. Jr., just the JR on Twitter. You can go support me there. I don't know. Follow me. I'm sure most of you already do if you're already listening to the podcast. But whatever. Consider it. Um, and you can also do the same on Instagram. I don't really post on that much at all. So, sorry, not a lot of content coming that way. Uh, you can also go and find my write, some of my writings at Mises.org and slash profile slash, I don't know, David Brady Jr. or something. I don't know. It's something along the lines. You can find it at Mises.org. Just go and support the Mises Institute. And if you really want some Austro-Libertarian books, you can go to the Mises Institute and use promo code Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, at checkout to get 10% off on That's your so order. Cool. It's just there, to be honest. So... Thank you, Connor. Thank you for joining us on this hectic episode, to say the least. We will see you all again next time. Bye-bye.